If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. Hello, everyone. As many of you know, we are selling ad space specifically to black female-owned businesses, and I am so excited to tell you about my girl Morgan's new venture. We speak a lot on the show about the importance of mental and physical health within the black community, especially in urban areas that are overlooked in the state budgets. Like us at Sisters Who Kill, Morgan knows that we need more medical professionals that look like us. Black people are more susceptible to diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, mental illness, and pregnancy-related death. Morgan has been an RN for 11 years now, and she currently works as an operating nurse. She began her new business, Critical Condition LLC, in Chicago, where she teaches CPR, first aid, and basic life support. Not only is her goal to get more black and brown kids interested in the medical field, but she wants to keep you safe too. These skills are necessary to save your life. You'll never know when you need them. Morgan's contact information will be in the description box below. Get your family CPR certified or get the entire office CPR certified. Either way, you're helping to make the world a better place. Check her out now. And now, on to the show. What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Tez. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. Today, we have a case that went ice cold for years. But when the police is under the hot water of a mother who cares, the case is bound to crack open. Our players this week are Lorenzen Wright, also known as Renz. He is a 13-season NBA star from Memphis, Tennessee by way of Oxford, Mississippi. Then we have Deborah Marion, Lorenzen Wright's mother, Billy Ray Turner, the gardener, the deacon, and the co-defendant, Jimmy Martin, Shara's cousin, who's currently convicted for killing his baby mama and got another case out too. And Cheryl Wright Robinson, our murderess. Cheryl Wright was born June 25th, 1971 in Memphis, Tennessee, where she played the clarinet at her local band high school. Because, you know, like Memphis is music. Memphis is like culture. Memphis is rock and roll. Like, oh, I bet Memphis has some good barbecue. But like (sighs) the bands there in high school are really shaped after like hbcu bands so playing in the band was a huge thing she was talented and she had an eye for sports everything she did she did with total ease she won the senior superlative biggest flirt now her father was the coach of the popular aau basketball team so so after high school she stayed in town while going to school 
she was dating and in love with singer Isaac Hayes until she met this fine-ass, tall-ass, pretty-eyed digger named Lorenzen Wright. Lorenzen Wright had just came up to Memphis, Tennessee from Mississippi to play AAU basketball because he was really good and he was really tall and he was really great. Mm-hmm. He stood six feet, 10 inches tall and weighed about 255 pounds. Like when you saw the guy, you knew who he was. Okay? I like me a tree to climb. <laughs> I like them tall. That's what I always say. I like tall niggas. They like a tree to climb. Like, I'm short. I want you taller than me. Well, you're short. I'm short. And I like to wear heels, so I get it. I don't. I'm stay short. And I want you, like, two feet taller than me. No, I want you taller than me because I'm I'm tall enough. I'm average. And I like to wear heels. I like to feel like a bad bitch. (laughs) So, anyways, she was hooked on him, and he was hooked on her. And at the time... He was 16 turning 17, but she was already 22 years old when they met and started dating. Now, he was still in high school. He was still playing AAU basketball. Her daddy was his coach, but she saw what she wanted and she decided to take it. Right. That is a big age difference. And, like, as you get older, it becomes less of a big age difference. But you remember, like, when we just graduated high school and we're, like, in college. And then, you know, you start gossiping about what the niggas are doing. And they're back in high school dating those girls. Right. And you don't want to do that. Right. And we used to talk about those niggas who did that. Like, unless y'all were already together in high school, if you went back and then... Right, but that wasn't the case. She saw what she wanted, and she would be like, "All right, this is who I this is who I wanted, no matter what his age." Now he it also said I saw a source that said like she was you know he ain't had no money, and when you're playing high school ball, like you still ain't got no money growing up. So she would you know buy him some food, she would buy him some clothes, mm. she would kind of take care of him because you know she was grown. It's an investment, it, and he was the child exactly. <laughs> so. In Memphis, what's the legal age? 18 or 17? The age of consent? Yeah. 16. Okay. So the age of consent is 16. I 16 going on 17. I guess he's legal. He was still 16. His mama was like, you know, she was putting that grown th- grown woman thing on him. Yeah, and I'm sure she was. And I'm sure, and I'm sure he loved it. He's probably like, I'm getting this grown woman. I'm not going I'm not going to dirty it up for y'all like that. But <laughs> I'm getting this grown woman thing, and right. I ain't never had this. They ain't had this down in Mississippi, but they got it up here to the sea. Is what Listen. he was saying, okay? He was probably proud of that. Deborah Miriam was born in Oxford, Mississippi, and was the eldest of her siblings. Now I say Deborah because that's how she introduced herself. Everybody else called her Deborah, but she said Deborah, so I'm gonna say Deborah. Her mother, Ren's grandmother, worked multiple jobs to help her provide, so he was raised by both his mom and his grandma, and they all lived in the same house. It was a shock when Deborah was able to hide her pregnancy, but soon she gave birth to her first child. Her son was named Lorenzen Rangagni. Marion, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. It's it's a name. Lorenzen took his father's name when he moved to Memphis to play basketball there as a high schooler. Deborah loves her son, and that was her baby. And she was a teen mother when she had him, so, you know, they kind of grew up together as teen moms do. Right. Now, if you ask Deborah, she never approved of the relationship between Sheer and Renz. 
Now, she told Ren's daddy and was like, you need to watch out for that girl. But what can he really do for this high school boy? Right. Up in this. Okay. When he was in high school, she would be up in the corner at practice watching him work or whatever, like a bird watching a prey. When the coach was asked by the news reporter from Bookie T. Washington High School why they let her in, he said because he knew her daddy. She was able to see him every day when she got out of college and when he got out of high school. So Shara and Lorenzen were very much in love when he decided that he was going to go to the University of Memphis. Shara soon found out that it's a baby. They're pregnant and they gave birth to their first son, which was named Lorenzen Jr. And he was born April 11, 1995. Lorenzen Sr., now he wanted a big family and it seemed like Shara kind of wanted the same. Now, everything was going pretty well in their relationship, it seemed. And in 1996, he was drafted into the NBA. So, we like, money is coming in. My investment is starting to see some returns, okay? (laughs) So, he was set to go to the LA Clippers with a $5 million contract. Now, family members remember this being a super joyful night for everybody. But Shara was kind of being stank Mm. that night, being kind of upset. So, even though this was a big night for Lorenzen, it's like you find out that your dreams are coming true. Shara needed to know how she fit in the picture. You know what I'm saying? Like, her and her baby are now here, so what's up? Right, she needs some security. Exactly. They had already been dating for, like, four to five years. Like, undergrad, I mean, high school, college, and now going into the pro because he's a child. So she had been sticking behind beside him. They'd been together for four to five years, and they had an argument that very night. The next day, he tells everybody, you know, sharing a kid coming to L.A. too. When the couple and many of Lorenzen's families moved to L.A. because, like, he took everybody. He was trying to take everybody with him. As they, they do. Went. Like, I'm going to get my whole family out the hood. Don't mean your extended cousins and all them niggas. He was getting everybody. So, like... They all moved to L.A. and they discovered this new life of, like, fame and fortune while Lorenzen was spending three seasons in L.A. from 1996 to 1999. During that time, they came into money that they had never seen before, okay? Like, big baller. Like, money was really coming in. Millions. You ain't even seen that type of money before, but all of a sudden that money is coming in and it's coming in fast. So, Lorenzen was on the road. He was playing ball like he do. And Cher was at home. They had, like, a mansion a legit mansion huge house and it seemed like everybody was living with them his aunties his cousins all of them they were going on trips they were buying cars they were buying jewelry and shara was shopping like there's no tomorrow shopping shopping she was rearranging she was redecorating the house like just because this color changed you know i was inspired (laughs) i was inspired so i changed the entire house you know and lorenzen you know he loves spoiling her it ain't tricking if you got it. Okay. They've been together for a while, and finally they decided it's time to get married. During his second year in the league, Lorenzen and Cher held nothing back on their wedding. It was an all-white affair, and it was lavish. You would think that he would have proposed to Cher, that he would have got down on one knee and been like, you know, babe, will you marry me? But according to Ms. DeBoer, it was Cher who had asked Lorenzen to marry her. It was... No special to do. She said that Cheryl was like, you want to get married? And I'm sure she already had a dozen rings at this time. I'm sure. Like, all that money, I would have a million rings too. But you know what? 
isn't that how like you start talking about marriage like would you like to get married and then they'd be like yeah sure she already been with him exactly you already have his baby so like seven years at this point I would be wondering, why aren't we married? Exactly. So it probably was a, nigga, are you going to marry me or what? Right. And he was probably like, all right. I guess I have to. Yeah. Shira continues to live her life of luxury. Lorenzen is continue playing basketball. He went in on to move from the L.A. Clippers to play for the Atlanta Hawks. And then he went back to his hometown of Memphis. They were seen together at community and charity events. And on the outside, it looked like their life was great. Their family was growing, and Lorenzen was living his dreams playing in the NBA. But behind closed doors, the couple was almost always at odds. He said that she was spending way too much money, and she told him that he was guilty of that too. And there were times that Lorenzen would beat Shira. The two were toxic to each other all the time, but they stayed together. They would fight about everything and often in front of their kids. When he was on the road, Ren's grandmother told the Killing Lorenz podcast that Shira would tell her kids all types of foul shit about their daddy. It was clear that the love between them needed rekindling. Shira and Lorenz were also cheating on each other. His personal assistant, Wendy Wilson, said that Shira would call and leave furious voicemails talking about, if you don't stop cheating, I'm going to fuck you up. But they were both cheating. Shira and Lorenzen had a total of seven children. Lorenzo Jr. was the oldest, followed by Lauren Wright, their eldest daughter. They then had the twins, Lamar and Shamar. They had Sophia Wright, Lawson Wright, and Sierra Wright. On March 1st, 2003, their young daughter, Sierra Wright, was found in their home, passed away. Later, they found out that she passed away from sudden infant death syndrome at 11 months old. This was completely heartbreaking to Lorenzo and Shara, you know? I can imagine. It's their baby, you know? And it's 11 months old, right? It's so, so much life to be had. Many people don't know, like, how you're going to act in the face of a loss. Like, you can always say, oh, when somebody passes away, I'm going to cry. But you never really know how you're going to act until you're in that situation. Grief looks different on everybody. On everybody, Exactly especially on parents like a parent shouldn't have to bury their child you know yeah instead of bringing them closer together it actually just made the relationship even more rocky their relationship was already bad and now it's gotten and it's gotten even worse like we said Cher was rumored to be cheating with any and everyone and Lorenzo was the same way so the rumor around town was that she was even fucking a lawn man and Lorenzo was cheating with everyone while he was on the road you know he mm-hmm. big baller he as them NBA niggas do. Okay, like he's in the league and he's very he's still young. He's got a, he has kids now, but he's still a young dude. Like he's coming into money for the first time. He out partying, you know. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that he's living his best life. His absolute best life, having an absolute blast. And it kind of was this open secret almost but the thing about Shara is that she was cheating with niggas in the house so in 2005 Lorenzen comes home break it right in 2005 Lorenzen comes home and Shara has a dude in the house Lorenzen gets his gun he busts out the door he points his gun at his dude at old dude and he's like look you gonna have to get out of my house and they're arguing they're fighting everything's happening finally they call the police the police come down they tell the police oh he has a gun but the police say that they never had a gun well they never found a gun at least But either way, a domestic call had to happen out at the house. Now, according to his mama, because, you know, mama always got something to say about every situation. Mm -hmm. She said, look, the Memphis police, they knew Lorenzen. I know my son. He had a gun. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I'm pro- I'm sure that he did. You know what I'm saying? Like, you coming into your house and your woman there with another dude. You got it, bro. You, technically, you are in your home on your property, so what's the problem? Mm-hmm. In February 2010, Shara and Lorenz finally decided to call it quits. It was Shara that filed for a divorce, and the court document stated that they had irreconcilable differences and inappropriate marital conduct. The two had pretty much been living separate lives at this point, and Shara had her little booze, and Lorenzen was also dating some woman seriously. In the divorce settlement, she was awarded custody of the children during the school year, having them go with their father for summers and holidays. He had to pay her child support that would keep his children up with having the lifestyle that they were used to. She received half of his NBA pension, and she was awarded alimony. Each month, he owed her $26,650. That's a lot of money. For, uh, for a month? For a month. These are people's yearly salaries. I... A month. A month, exactly. She also had him take out a $1 million life insurance policy for the kids in case of emergency. And that she would be the trustee on the account for her children. According to her attorney, he was hardly able to make payments to her. He was, She was used to having nannies and workers all around the house. And Lorenz was now out of the league and struggling to make ends meet from all the spending throughout his career. The couple was already $3 million in debt. Which, That's it's an unfortunate fate that a lot of these ballers face. Because, you know, black people aren't taught what to do with their money because... A lot of us are new to it. Right. And financial literacy is just not something that is... I think this generation is really trying to break that curse, though. Like, I think they are heavy focused on that. I think so as well. So, on Sunday, July 18, 2010, a 911 call was placed, and we're going to let you hear it. Georgetown 911, where's your emergency? Hello? 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 Son, I have nothing but gunshots. Hello? Hello? As you can hear, the dispatcher is like, I don't know. I can hear his gunshots. So they decide they tra- to trace the call. They find the latitude. They find the longitude. And they find out that it's just right outside of Germantown's jurisdiction. So the 911 officers are like, well, it's right outside of our jurisdiction. Let's just go ahead and, I don't know, let's let it go. Thanks. But you guys heard it, right? All those gunshots. And she identified them as gunshots. She said, oh, that ain't nothing but a whole bunch of gunshots. A whole bunch of gunshots. And you just let it go. I guess, girl. So, days started to pass and no one had heard from Lorenzen. One of his friends was previously told by Lorenzen that he was going to pick up one of his kids and take him back to Atlanta. So, he went by the house and Cheryl was like, no, no, the kids are going to stay with me. Like, don't even worry about it. And he's like, oh, okay, well, let me go ahead and just get in contact with Lorenzen because, like, he had his people around him all the time remember and so because they're around him all the time he kind of had them on like a payroll like they were doing stuff for him so that he could also employ them you know as they do tries to get in contact with Lorenzo and Lorenzo's not answering the phone and he's like all right well I just guess I'll just go back to Atlanta this is really weird because Lorenzo always answered the phone at least for somebody he had a large circle of friends like we said and he just didn't fall off the face of the earth and not tell anybody 
His sister had an upcoming baby shower, but he ended up missing the baby shower. But they still weren't too concerned because he hadn't fully committed to going to the baby shower. So they thought, oh, maybe he's just in Atlanta. He lives in just tentative plans. Right. He just lives in Atlanta right now. That's totally fine. Finally, his family and close friends were like, okay, we haven't heard from Lorenzo in about two, three days. It's about time for us to be concerned. They're they're calling around. They're asking everyone, have you heard from Lorenzo? Have you heard from Lorenzo? Anybody heard from Lorenzo? And his mom said this was extremely unusual. Like, she does not play about her child. Okay? She said this was extremely unusual for him to not answer the phone because she said they talk two three four times a week he was a titty boy okay Okay. it was very clear that that was her baby and she was his mama they talked all the time she was like it was so unlike him to not answer my call if he he goes and drops off the face of the earth he'll at least tell me where he is so she knew that something was going on they also knew that something was really wrong when his 13 year old daughter started calling the phone and he wouldn't answer for her because they were like no matter what he was gonna answer for his kids which we love good dads. So as soon as that happened, uh, Miss Deborah sprung into action, okay? She called the police and she requested a meeting with them so that she could file a missing persons case because the sooner that you have a missing person on file, the sooner that they can jump into action and try to find who is missing. So remember, Lorenzo was a hometown hero, okay? Remember, you guys, he played AAU, he played college, he played pro in the city, so everybody knew who he was. They started asking everyone around town if they had heard heard or seen from Lorenzo. His posters, they have missing posters up around the entire city looking for him. Sharon gave a statement to the police saying, of course, that she saw Lorenzo the night of the 18th, but other people had said that they saw him that night too, so no one knew where he was and she was just begging for anybody to give any type of information about his disappearance. When looking for a missing person, the best thing to do is to access phone records. But getting those phone records is always a process going through the courts if no one else knows your password. Finally, they were able to find what cell phone towers his phone pinged off of when his phone was in use. The cell phone tower was right outside of Germantown, and a ground search with some direction went underway. On July 28, 2010, 10 days since he was last seen, Wren's body was found in the woods. He was left in the heat and elements in a hot July in Tennessee. His body was so badly decomposed that the once 211-pound NBA superstar weighed only 57 pounds at the time that his remains were discovered. When taken to the autopsy, they found he was shot 11 times from two different guns, including two shots to the head, two to the chest, and one in his right arm. One thing they realized was that he still had on his jewelry. So this tells the police, like, okay, this isn't a robbery going wrong because if they were after money, they would at least steal his change, you know? Right, right. Since there were so many gunshots, it was clear signs of overkill, making people think that maybe this was a crime of passion. A crime of passion usually means that it's probably personal. Right. It's usually at a time of, like, heightened emotion, usually love passion of some sort for the other person yeah so the day before the body was found on july 27 2010 detectives call shara and asked to get a statement she tells them and she tells them that on july 18 2010 he came to her house with a box of drugs she then says that he leaves again with the box of drugs and money at the time he had both a track phone and an iphone he left with a whole bunch of cash and raised the possibility that Renz was possibly in a drug deal gone bad. 
So adding to the theory that this was a drug deal gone bad, they realized that Renz was damn near broke, okay? He pretty much had no money, even though he had a $55 million NBA career. He had two homes that were currently in foreclosure, and Shara was saying that checks were bouncing left and right, okay? So friends noticed that he was trying to sell his possessions, his cars, his Harley Davidsons, his jewelry, his everything. So it was clear that he was like really tight for money. He was then said to have sold two of his cars to Memphis drug dealers, Bobby Cole and Craig Petty's. Now, when they when the police found out about this, they thought, okay, so maybe the reason why he was killed is maybe it was a drug deal gone bad. Maybe he owed them some money and they wanted to make an example out of him. Police cannot prove this, so the case went cold extremely fast. The thing is that you have to realize is they were already 10 days late to the body, so a lot of evidence was pretty much gone. Mm -hmm. The case was turning ice cold, but according to his mama, she said that it wasn't a drug deal gone bad, that she knew exactly who was responsible. Y'all, we are back with our CEO and director of dopeness, Miss Patricia, and her amazing company, Hood Adjacent Tees. Now, I have told you all about Hood Adjacent Tees from week to week, and I am so excited about this company. You can get custom-made t-shirts for anything, and they also have t-shirts that are amazing. This is for everybody. This is for your holy shirts, as well as your around-the-way shirts. Some of her shirts say things like manifest. They are filled with black girl magic, filled with black boy joy, and she really plans on growing this company. You can only buy online for now, but she soon plans on opening a store where it's going to be more than just a store. It's going to be a whole community affair where there's a cafe, community garden. She can classes that are open to the community that can help out her community this is somebody that not only has a business about black folks but she is committed to giving back to black folks y'all these t-shirts are so cute I, I told you guys i got custom made onesies for my niece and nephew and i cannot wait to see them this weekend in the outfits they are so cute and you can get your custom made shirt so if you need to get a shirt for you your auntie and them everybody else you can make that happen hood adjacent tees is the company that you want to spend your dollars with okay these shirts are super cute they're high quality material they're not gonna fade you're gonna look fantastic in them so check out hoodish.org to get your hood adjacent tees the link will be in the description box below you can use the discount code swk to get 20 percent off your order of 20 dollars or more that's discount code swk to get 20 percent off check them out and now back to the show Now, Lorenzo's mama was determined to keep Lorenzo's name in the press because the case was going cold. He had died in 2010, and they pretty much had no leads on what happened to him. So she keeps calling the police. She's hounding the police. And they're like, listen, the case is still open. We haven't closed the case. We just don't have anything to go on. And she's like, we was talking like regularly. Soon she was like, all right, it's time to go to the media. It's time to make sure that everybody knows exactly what's going on. So between all of this time that Mama is just trying to make sure that his name is out, Lorenzo Wright's crime file aired on the summer of 2013. And then there was the Sports Illustrated and then the Sports Illustrated covered the story. And then, of course, there was the 2019 podcast called Killing Lorenzen, which we got a lot of information for today's podcast for. All this is happening. Still cannot find any leads on what happened to Lorenzen. Ice cold. 
nine months after Lorenzen's death, Shara gets married again? I think she got married and divorced again. And now she's Shara Wright Robinson. We don't hear much about the marriage. I'm assuming that it got... I'm assuming that it also ended in divorce as well because in 2015, she writes a book. She becomes an author. She says in her interview, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm an author, okay? In 2015, she writes a book called Mr. Tell Me Anything. Mr. Tell Me Anything, I have looked for this book. If y'all can find it, y'all let me know, but I cannot find it. It's not on Amazon. Jeff Bezos doesn't have it. My thrift online thrift book doesn't have it. But it is a fictional book about her life. And she hoped that the book would serve as an inspiration for other women that are in abusive relationships. And so on the anniversary of Lorenzen's death, journalist Kelvin Cowens reaches out to Shara Wright to interview her about, about her new book. Of course, she's like, okay, I got to secure the bag. So, of course, I'm going to meet with this reporter that wants to talk to me. They go to a local coffee house and they talk for hours and hours and hours. She talks about her book. He talks about what he does. And the two actually end up falling in love. Mm. <laughs> Who does that? How do you go out to, and he's like, I've never crossed this uh, boundary before. Uh, how do you go out to interview somebody accused of killing their husband? And then the next time you see her, it's like, hey, would you like to go? I guess technically at the time she was not being accused. Mama was pointing the finger at her, but she was. He went to talk to her because she sounded suspicious. He's like, oh, after talking to her, I just knew she couldn't have nothing to do with it. Oh, did nigga, she charmed your ass. She's a man eater. He also said that he like loved how spiritual she was. So the thing about Shara is that she was also in the church. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she was working towards being a minister in the church. So I didn't know what the difference. I, it's been a while since I've been to church, y'all. So I didn't know the difference between like a minister, a pastor, a deacon, all that stuff. So I asked Taz and we looked it up. Okay. So the minister is not as high as the pastor. Right. They get a message. They get a feeling. They get word from a burning bush that this is their calling. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's kind of, and maybe they'll take a couple of classes, but that's kind of how they get into giving their lesson in the church. Mm-hmm. Now, the pastor, of course, is a little bit wiser because maybe they have a degree in mm-hmm. theology, maybe a master's degree. They're usually the head, head of the church. So if you guys didn't know that, like I didn't know that. Yeah, like pastor is head of the church. And like a lot of time, especially in mega churches, pastors travel and do guest tours Mm -hmm. so their ministers will fill in while they're gone and they'll preach and they'll develop and they'll maybe do the vacation bible study or whatever but it's like the pastor who you go to for counseling and you know when you do marriage counseling you go talk to the pastor that's the big guy's job you know okay so but she was working towards being a minister like this is something that she really wanted to do she was doing it at the church that they had in tennessee and she wanted to go ahead and move to Texas, because she wants to be a minister at Joel Olstein's church, according to him. <laughs> he said that she wants to be a Joel Olstein. You know who Joel Olstein is, yes. right? The one that wouldn't open up your church during the flood. I mean, during the hurricane. Right. Yeah, that one. So she thought that that would work out because I don't know. She thought that she had like favor with the Lord, and so that was going to make sure that she ended up being this minister at this super mega church. How do you just decide that you're going to infiltrate a mega church? I have no idea how the church system works, but it does not sound right to me. Do you think you can touch Joel Osteen? Do you think you can touch TD Jakes? Right, you just be like, do you I'm think here. do you think you can touch Creflo Dollar like no. 
Kevin said that she was a very spiritual woman, that she was praying all the time. Like, she was a prayer warrior, okay? That she would sometimes take a little pillow, and then she'd go in the closet, and she would just pray. And she would just pray, and she would just pray. And he was like, there's no way, after just being with her, there's no way that this woman could have done this, could have committed this crime. Absolutely no way. So the case remained cold. It stayed cold, and it remained cold until a man in prison put forth some very interesting information that cracked the case wide open. In 2007, Jimmy Martin, who was Shira's cousin, was already up for sentencing. He had already been convicted of killing his baby mama in January of 2007. So he went to trial, he was found guilty, and now he's awaiting sentencing. So he was like, ah, trying to get a light sentence. I was just found guilty. I got some information. So Jimmy said that Shara, his cousin, approached him and a man named Billy Ray Turner and gave them a proposition and was like, hey, I'm trying to get rid of my husband. Mm-hmm. What can we do here? Help a nigga out. Help somebody out. So he said that Shara offered them, said, look, once he's gone, insurance money will come in, pension will come in. I'll offer you guys $50,000 to split. Now, he said that he, did, he wasn't there when he died and he didn't pull any type of trigger. He says that actually the next day, Shara and Billy Ray Turner came and told him like, hey, we did it, but we need to clean up the crime scene. Can you ask your mama for a metal detector? And the police officer was like, did your mama have a metal detector? And he was like, yes, my mama had a metal detector. Because apparently when Lorenzen was being killed, a gun was dropped Mm -hmm. and they needed to go find it. Mm -hmm. So they go And he says that he got the metal detector and he helped pick up the crime scene. And the crime weapon is in a lake in Mississippi. And the police were like, okay, really? And he says, oh, I have another interesting story to tell you. Actually, that was the second attempt to kill him. Now, the first attempt I was on, she offered us $50,000 to split. We were supposed to go to Atlanta, break into his condo, the condo that he was living in in Atlanta. Mm Mm-hmm. And brush him, you know. But that didn't happen because when we broke in, there was a bald head nigga on the couch, but that bald head nigga wasn't him. Mm-hmm. Turns out it was one of his close friends and one of the people that was living in his house because there was always people living in his house. This was very interesting to police. And then they also found out that all that insurance money was damn near gone. She had $5.05 left. Five oh five. <laughs> Of a million. In November of 2017, the police sent divers out to where Jimmy said the gun was. He said it was at a Walnut, Mississippi lake off County Road 302. The divers searched the lake and they found a gun. And the gun had to be taken back to Tennessee Bureau of Investigation so that they could do analytics and see if it was the right gun. It was. On December 5, 2017, Billy Ray was arrested in connection to the death of Lorenzen. Two days later, he appeared in court. After hearing the charges, Mama burst out in court. The judge is like, listen, ma'am, I understand what you're going through. My own father was murdered, but you have got to calm down so we can continue with court. He's like, like, I get it, but if you keep doing outbursts, I'm going to have to put you out. Right, you got to stay here. She was like, I was quiet the rest of the trial. I just didn't say nothing. She apologizes, and she was like, you know, anybody who's lost a son, they understand where I'm coming from. She later tells the press that the reason for her outburst is that she was hoping that he would throw Shara's name into the mix. Like, when she was like, why would you do it? She was like, I wanted him to be like, Shara made me do it. Mm. It's because I was in love with Shara. 
But he didn't he didn't say shit because I'm not joining in with you and your shenanigans. Oh, and y'all, I forgot to tie this all together. So Billy Ray Turner, if you forgot, was the gardener at the house and the deacon of the church where Shara was the minister, the one in Tennessee. So one night in December, one reporter was actually able to get Shara on the phone, okay? So she said, she said, look, I don't want to be interviewed because I don't want the attention and that she was still grieving. And she also said, you know, like the reporters have been twisting up her words. Like everything she said, they spun it on their head. She was sick and tired of it. When they asked her, like, do you know anything about a man named Billy Turner? She said, look, I don't know anything. I'm not talking to you guys. If y'all have anything that y'all want to talk about, Lorenzen, call his mama. Because, you know, his mama was out here in the streets. Talking to any and everybody. Talking to any and everybody. The newscaster was like, you know, we talked to his mom, but, you know, you're his ex-wife. You're still the close and the mother of his children. You're still the closest thing that you have to him. And she's like, no, am I? Right. Like, we're divorced. The divorce papers are signed. I've been married. Like, like listen, this is a private matter, and I don't want to talk about this anymore. And I understand that. Yeah. Reporters actually really be feeling entitled. December 15, 2007, around 5.45, Cheryl reaches out to her former be- boyfriend, Kelvin. Now, this was the reporter guy. It had only been nine months since they'd broken up, and she just needed somebody to talk to. With all the reporters on her to make statements about the new developments in the case and the connection to Billy, she was just starting to stress. She spouted off reasons why she shouldn't, and Kelvin told her that she should and that it was kind of weird that she didn't want to. He was late to an event, so he hopped off the phone with her, but not before letting her know that he continued praying for her and her family. Well, I guess he ain't pray fast enough because less than three hours later, Cheryl was driving home with her twins from the, their basketball game. Her twins were in the back seat debating what to eat for dinner, and Lorenzen Jr. was on speakerphone talking about the game he just played at UT Martin. Lights flash behind her. Assuming she was speeding, she tells her boys make sure they're buckled up, and she pulls over. Cop pulls up behind her. Then another. Then another. Then an unmarked police car pulls up. Next thing she hears, get out the car, get out the car. And the marshals were there to pick her up for first-degree murder of her ex-husband. So both... Shara and Billy were indicted for first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and criminal attempt for, of course, Lorenzen. And the criminal attempt was the attempt on his life that, you know, they ran up in the house in, in Atlanta. Right. So Jimmy was never brought up on any charges. On December 18th, Shara was supposed to have an extradition hearing, but instead showed up in a wheelchair as her lawyers asked for her to be seen by a mental facility before continuing with court proceedings. As a result, her hearing was pushed back to the 20th. On the 20th, she decides to fight the extradition, and the judge explains to her that all that she can argue here is that either there's not a warrant out for you or you are not the person listed on the warrant. She's like, yeah, I'm still fighting it. So they postpone it again so that they can prove she's herself. And this is usually done between DNA and fingerprints or whatever. So she comes back on the 8th, and finally she waives extradition. January 8th, she waived extradition, and on January 19th, a private prison bus came to scoop her up and take her to Memphis, which was supposed to be like a four- or five-day trip. But I feel like I heard his mama talking, and she was like, it was a one-day trip, and they didn't, I don't know, she'd be talking. She had a really nice RV. Yeah, that prison RV. Yo, the prison RVs look like... They was like, listen. Really nice. 
we use the third-party service, but it's half the cost that it would have taken for us to send officers out there. I use a third-party service, but I saw that RV, and it said prison. It's a third-party prison bus. So, like, you know, it's not like one prison owns that bus. Prisons can rent out the bus. Great. So, it's just another person that is capitalizing on the prison. Okay, great, 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 great. Yes, exactly. Great, great. Um, great. (laughs) So, they was like, they, they sent on this bus to save money because sending officers to California to then ride on a plane back with her was gonna be like twice as much so when she arrives she's taken to shelby county jail east now when Madukes, lorenzo mama found out they had arrested shara oh she was elated she was lit she was so happy she went to lorenzo's gravesite and she started popping fireworks she said they were his favorite he just loved fireworks so she said she just started popping fireworks and celebrating the fact that this woman was behind bars on March 2018, Billy and Cher were being tried as co-defendants, so they were appearing in court together. They weren't facing life. They both pleaded not guilty, and the trial was set for September. Now, Billy's bond was set for $15 million, which is $5 million more than they initially asked for. In Shara's bond hearing, prosecutors focused on Shara's behavior in jail. Now, Sis was acting up in jail I mean, before... Before it was time to see the judge. Like, she was acting all the way up. She had more than 50 disciplinary reports for all kinds of things. Like, small things like passing notes or passing candy to other inmates. One time she was found naked in her cell. And she was, like, naked, flooding the little cell toilet. And she's like, I'm going swimming, y'all! I'm going swimming, y'all! And she was also, like, really difficult during strip searches because they're do very yeah strip searching you right and she would be like oh i ain't never had to do nothing shit like that taking off all my clothes are y'all gonna throw me some dollars like are y'all gonna throw me some ones what's going on so she was just very like inappropriate all the time starting a lot of mess mm-hmm. while she was behind bars the defense argued that this indicates that her mental health needed to be looked into now three days later she was deemed mentally fit by the court after that, the incident slowed down, but not completely. The defense asked for a $100,000 bond, but the court gave her a $20 million bond. Neither she nor Billy were ever able to make bail. While preparing for trial, issues arose between Shear and her attorneys. Her attorney said the relationship got so bad that they can no longer effectively counsel her, and they dropped her. The judge assigned her a new attorney, Junie Ganguly, and he teamed up with Lori Hall. And they took on her case for $50 an hour, which they was like, that's a fraction of my normal rate. Mm. But they was also like, if we win this shit, it's going to be huge. So I guess it was worth it. Um, They tried to change the venue because this was Ren's hometown. And like I said earlier, he was the hometown hero, you know. Um, But it ended up not working out. And they ended up withdrawing their request they instead wanted to focus on getting tapes of conversations between her and billy thrown out now march 2nd shira had another incident in the jail about not receiving her meds she stated my kids make more money than y'all they millionaires they millionaires and just you know acting out again and the incident started continue it was a bunch of stupid shit she's getting rich uh you know passing candy standing in the doorway naked they had to put paper over she was the being doors. A menace. Yeah, they had to put paper over the doors so people wouldn't see her. Like, you know, you, 
I'm getting her noise disturbances because she's just being loud, yelling, wearing weave. Like, you know. When sis was not in jail, hair stayed laid. Hair, hair stayed laid, okay? You can tell through the family pictures, like, okay, she kept that short hair that you see in her mugshot throughout life. She, her wigs were just good. Yeah. Like, her wigs were just really, really fucking good. But you can't have a wig in jail. You so can't. Sorry. You know, like, when you be in middle school and there be them stupid rules, but then I'm going to I don't got to follow these rules. And it's like, you, you do, though. Right. You, you do. You do. All of this continued until July 8th. And it seems like the incident started subsiding after that. On the other side, Billy Ray Turner was having some issues of his own. So he owned a gun. But he wasn't allowed to have a gun because he was already a convicted felon. And he had a charge back in 99 for, like, kidnapping. It was a shotgun, and he openly admitted to having it. But but he says that it was for, for, it was for protection in case somebody broke in his home. Like, he didn't just have a gun just willy-nilly. He took a plea on the gun possession charge. But this had Shara's lawyers shook, okay? They were like, uh, we can't be associated with him. Trying two people together is really risky. difficult. It's really risky. If he took the plea on that, which he did, then what reason would he have for not taking a plea deal on this murder case when they were looking to go to trial at the time? Uh-huh. And if he did take this plea deal when Cher went on trial, who's to say that he wouldn't testify against her? Right. So this was an all-around sticky situation. And the defense found themselves with their hands tied, so this actually led Shara to pleading guilty and taking a plea deal on July 25th, 2019 for facilitation of first degree murder. She said she pled guilty for the sake of her children. She said, quote, I'm just going to say because of my children, I made this decision. And because of them, I'm not going into any more details right now. I'm just going to go say everything is not what it seems. She was sentenced to 30 years with eligibility for parole, and she was credited 500 days for time served. Her earliest chance of being released is 2026. After being sentenced, Deborah got a chance to speak to Shara during her victim impact statement. Thank you, sir. Well, Shara, well, I want to thank you for giving me my grandchildren. That's what I want to thank you for, but I want you to unlock them so I can visit them. Back to home with their 
Cheryl's lawyer said that she wanted to reply, but they advised her not to. On July 26, 2019, she was taken to the Tennessee Women's Prison, where she remains today. On December 17, 2020, Sheriff's team of lawyers filed a lawsuit against Shelby County Sheriff's Office, Jail East. The lawsuit was over cruel and unusual punishment, specifically from two specifically from two sergeants and two correctional officers between December 2017 and December 2018. She claims they denied her her privacy, her decency, and her dignity. She says, currently, I suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, nightmares, and depression, anxiety, along with resulting physical distress. She's like, they verbally abuse me, and they encourage other inmates to verbally abuse me, and she's just like, we're we're suing. Now, remember, this is the same jail where she got over 50 infractions and 260 pages of write-ups you know what I mean so we're gonna see how that trial goes but she is asking for a total of 12 million dollars 12 2 million go towards compensatory damages and 10 million for punitive damages good luck she's like I will be rich I will be rich I will be rich <laughs> Billy However, it was supposed to go on trial in September, but his attorney asked for more time to look for new evidence. So it got pushed back to October 2020. Of course, the pandemic was happening, so then it got pushed to June 2021. On June 2nd, he went to court, and the earliest date they were able to give him was January 31st, 2022. So, so how are the kids? Well, Lorenzen Jr. is 26. He used to be an NBA free agent, but I guess he never got picked up. So then he became a high school basketball coach, and now he's a QC investor, and he bounces back and forth between Cali and Tennessee to make sure, you know, to balance his job and his family and make sure he's seen everybody. Right. Yeah, Lauren and Lorenzen actually acted as legal guardians over the younger kids while they were still attending college. Um, I guess, you know, to keep them in, they were quite a bit older. They were grown, I guess. Grown-ish, I mean... I wouldn't want to take on three other kids, but... Because they have the twins, they have Sophia and Lawson. Like, all of them were underage at the time their mom went in. But I guess between Lauren and Lorenzen, they figured they could work it out together, which I probably... If I had younger siblings... You have to as an older sibling. And you don't... I'm sure that they have a lot of family support that keeps them on their feet i hope i hope they do okay let me finish this because lauren had some words okay oh lord so lauren she's now married and she lives in charlotte north carolina and the other kids they're out but she still takes care of sophia and i hear she's a rn congratulations yes yeah the twins lamar and shamar they play college ball at southern illinois university edwardsville and this is kind of an interesting opportunity because Shamar had a scholarship to go to North Carolina, and Lamar was going to follow him as a walk-on. But by going to this school, they were both able to get scholarships, and this school was in its first year as a D1, so they were looking for freshmen to build a team and stay in. That's kind of cool because it seemed like their their dad's legacy was also building programs. Well, building programs. Like, in Memphis, he helped petition for having that Memphis team be there and then he helped build that program and then when he was at the when he was in Atlanta also or he went back to Atlanta for a little, a little while helped rebuild that program so it's kind of 
Mm-hmm. They're same legacy. That's cool. Lawson, they call him Law. He lives in Texas, but they say he's a very supportive sibling. And Sophia's like a teenager now. They grow up so fast. They had a picture at the twins' high school graduation, and they are just... The cutest first, family. First of all, they're so... They're a good-looking bunch of kids, right? But Sophia, she's really young. You can tell that they had a full, like, age range of kids. And yeah. And six of them. Yeah. Um. So, Lauren says, thanks to their mama, they are all all right, and they rely heavily on each other, and they're really close, and they don't need no extra support. They got each other. She asked that they... Re- she asked that people respect their privacy and she even mentioned to reporters during the trial or like shortly after the trial she was like our mama ain't kept us from speaking to nobody and if we ain't talked to nobody it's because we ain't want to talk to nobody and so you remember like at the end she addressed Cher and she was like I just want to see my grandkids so I guess that was Lauren's way of saying it ain't my mama stopping us from seeing you you can't talk about people's mama. I don't care who you are. Yeah. I don't care if we're family. And especially, like, you not even her mama. Because it'd be one thing if her mama was talking about her because then that's their relationship to work through. Right. But you her mother-in-law, and it's like, you don't always look down on my mama. And you praying, like, I've already lost my dad, and you pushing for me to lose my mom. I'm sure they have their own resentment. Yeah, I'm too. sure that it's a lot of things that I hope that therapy is getting them through. Because yeah. it's... No one can understand what they're going through other than themselves. And I'm an only child, so, like, my trauma, I just have to hold it and <laughs> bottle it in. But, like, they are going through, even though they have come through from money since they were born, at least they had money. Yeah. But, like, they've gone through unimaginable circumstances. Mm-hmm. Still. Still. And still going through it. Um, you can tell on their Instagram pages, it's either pictures of them by themselves or them with one of their siblings. Yeah, I so believe they're least, super close. I'm sure they're super close. And wanting us to mind our black-ass business mm-hmm. and not theirs. One thing that I forgot to mention was that while in the years where they were still searching for the killer, Mama done went to a psychic to try and get some answers. She said, I was talking to anybody. Anybody who listens, anybody give me some answers. I, I want she went to go see the psychic named Abigail Noel. Now, she's a therapist, but she's, like, I'm also, like, very spiritual and holistic, and God has given me the powers to tap in. And she, I guess she does it, helps with murder cases now, but this was her first one that she had done. Okay. And so, basically, Devorah goes and talks to her, and she's skeptical. She's like, I ain't telling her nothing, like... You don't have to prove to me that you're a psychic or whatever. Right. And the lady was basically like, she said that she had talked to her and the story had kind of um, sat with her. And then she went to her mother-in-law's house and it's like Lorenz came down from heaven and showed her his murder. Mm. So she was like, he took me through the whole thing. She's like... He showed me where the gate was cut and how they snuck him in through there. Um, he said a big bald man did it. He called him Big Bill. Now y'all remember, Billy was the one accused of shooting him. Mm-hmm. She said uh, 
She heard multiple shots. She's like, she sees that he's hitting his head in his chest. But she was like, there's probably like seven, eight other bullets that went off. Like, shot multiple times. What else did she say she saw? Um, She said that she could see the phone in his hand. Mm. And he had his phone with him. And that he tried to call for help. And he was he was trying to ask for help. Um, and so she calls Deborah with this news and, you know, Deborah's like, tell me more. Like, this is the most information I've gotten so far. Tell me more. So she was like, I want you to take me to the crime scene. And Deborah's like, Ooh, I was tired. And I, she was like, I was tired and I took her the long way and all this stuff. She was like, but I want her to find it on her own. She said she walked right up to the spot where it happened and she was like this is where it happened she said she started getting like excited and she could feel the energy or whatever she was like this is where it happened this is where he died and Deborah said she was right she was at the right spot and they sent her to the police but the police was like you haven't told us anything new like you're saying only She's thing like you're saying Billy Bob Billy Bob well, not Bill, it was Big Bill. Big Bill. Big Bill. But, like, they don't know what that means at that point. And so they was like, we treat it like a tip, but there's only so much we can investigate it. Because if I go for a warrant and they'd be like, what is your probable cause? Oh, this psychic went to a field and, and Lorenz's said, ghost Bill, said, yeah. So he was like, there's, there's only so so much I can do on that. But I was like, she hit, she hit some couple of things. I'm interested. Either she's got an inside scoop. They say she does this, like, as a thing now. Like, helps with murder cases. Helps yeah, because some people are seeking psychics. There's a lot of cases where they seek psychics, psychics to help solve it. Okay, you guys, it is time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm okay. I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. Oh, girl. Ugh. Do you want to go first? you want me to go first? You go first. Let me think about it. Okay, so I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. Sis, first of all, I would have never been cheating in the in my husband's house. First of all. Second of all, greed. We come across all these cases where greed just gets the most of you. Mm-hmm. But you ended up talking too much. You got the deacon to do your dirty work, but then he wasn't even competent enough to not drop the gun. So now you have to get somebody else re-involved because you kind of cut him out and then re-involved him. Mm-hmm. And now you got too many. Ha- There's three. There's three of y'all. Three people can't keep a secret. Billy, Jimmy, and her. Billy, Jimmy, and her. They can't keep a secret. Mm-hmm. You got to keep your cards close. Mm-hmm. And yes, and they were lazy. They were because when they went to go find the gun, according to this story, they went out with a metal detector to go find the gun that was missing. If you did that, why didn't you go and pick up the bullet casings? The bullet casings were still out there. So, of course, you didn't even clear your tracks. You didn't wipe behind you. I guess they forgot at this point, they know he's fucking shot, but you leave them with as little clues as possible. Exactly. Okay, I ain't do it, but if I did, I'd have had to make sure Jimmy was straight so that he wouldn't have turned on me. You know what I mean? 
I don't think either one of them got the money that they were expecting to get. Oh, absolutely not. And, she was blowing it. And so Jimmy was like, the fuck do I care? I think maybe she would have took better care of Jimmy or left him out altogether. One thing I do find interesting about the case is that two sets of bullets were found at the crime scene, but only one gun was recovered, a 9 Still to this day. And so it also makes me think, like, was Jimmy... Was Jimmy a part of it? Was Jimmy a part of it at, at all? Or did Jimmy throw a 9mm into that lake at one, at one point? Because... Oh my goodness! He, because I he had, had this... committed a crime before, and he knew that one of the shell cases was a nine millimeter, so he just did all of this for a lighter sentence. I'm, it's not confirmed, but Joe has some formants. You never know. Listen, this is what she should have did, right? There were two guns, right? Keep the two guns, but you know where the other one was. One gun. Did they find two sets of bullets in him, or one set of bullets? They just found other casings. They right? said that the autopsy said that they came from two guns. Hmm. So, I was going to say, it'd be, it's, it's a lot of work, right? But this is how you weed them out. I would have put, I would have gave Jimmy a gun that looked identical to it and had him dispose of it. So that way, if he tries to tell, he, one, takes them to the wrong gun and loses credibility. Two, you know he ain't right. Mm-hmm. And three... You still the only person who knows where that gun is. So you have to weed out your. You got to weed out all the people that you cut now. Now you got to make sure th- if you gonna cut people out of the deal, cut, cut them, them out, out the, the deal. deal. Set them up. You got to set their ass up. It's him or it's you. She got. She pleaded guilty to facilitating murder, but they tried to charge her with murder, but she didn't actually kill him. She didn't. She didn't pull no trigger. So she's not a. Murderer. She ain't earn them strikes. You didn't. You didn't do that shit, sis. You was a pussy. Like you ain't handle your own shit. Right. So if you're going to do it, do it. All right. So parole or no parole. She is coming up soon. She is coming up. She's soon. coming up really soon. What? 2026. That'll be there before you know it. Um, She's going to have to miss this first one. I, yeah. You are, mm, girl. She just want to get back to her kids. She, she wants want, to make some money. She's, she wanted to make she some money. She is going to get back out there. And like she's gonna be a scammer or something. It has not stopped. A twelve million dollar lawsuit after you had all them write ups. They're not gonna take you seriously, girl. I mean, after you've had all this and this dumbass write ups, like. And but I can also see that like he was a hometown hero. I can see that people would be meaner or cooler to her, especially the guards, because they're mean and cruel to anybody within the jail system. It's that superiority content. Right, you just think that you're better than everybody. But, like, also, there has to be some type of grace so that you have a case to stand on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Hoochow. This is a mess. And is. And was. Thank y'all for listening to another week of Sisters Who Kill podcast. Let's go ahead and get on to these reviews so that we can go home. All right, I'll go first. The first one is from Sophia Laren, who the title of her review says, Love it. It's my birthday, June 25th. I see you, girl. Happy birthday. She says, the first time I ever listened to a crime podcast, it was boring. I just couldn't get into it at all. Then I found Sisters Who Kill on TikTok, and I... I'm so amped. I can't stop listening. I'm 
hooked. You ladies make it feel like we're all just sitting around and talking, not just reading something word for word. Keep up the great work. Love, Kelsey. Happy birthday, Kelsey. This one says, finally, something FUBU. Love. I'm definitely going to contribute financially because I'm ready for more frequent episodes. Ah. The Asada Shakur episode did something to me. IDK what, but something is stern. Let it stir, girl, and keep it moving. Y'all really like that Asada episode. They did. Uh, I feel like boo-boo. Fat, ugly, black, uh, Shut up. I'll <laughs> <laughs> <That> be tired. <laughs> Um, no, but I, I'm glad y'all really loved that uh, Asada episode. I'm going to have something coming for y'all for that soon. If I say it on here, I got to hold myself to it, right? <laughs> so we'll save it for whenever. <laughs> All right, y'all. Um, Let's go ahead. If you guys want to keep up with us, you can follow us on all social media platforms. If you want to contribute to us, there is in the description box, it says contribute to the podcast where you can give us money <laughs> you can cash up us you can cash app us at the money sign sisters who kill pod you can find us on instagram at sisters who kill pod you can find us on instagram at sisters who kill pod you can follow us on tiktok at sisters who kill podcast you can follow us on twitter at sisters who kill and you can join the discussion group where we chit chat all the time yeah do you have anything else, my friend? Uh, not this week. Oh, if you want ad space, email us at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, that part. That's important. Alrighty. Bye, y'all. Bye.